Hey everybody, this is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are starting Matthew chapter 22 today, and it seems that we are still in the same day that chapter 21 was in. So according to that, Jesus still only has about five days left until his betrayal and crucifixion. So let's read together and uh, see how far we can get, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit. So Matthew chapter 22, let's read verses 1 through 14, and this is the parable of the great feast. So Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests had invited... He had invited, ignored them, and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothing for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, what we see is this continuation of Jesus telling the people and the religious leaders these parables. He's trying to communicate as clearly as possible what the kingdom of heaven is like and who is going to be able or permitted to go there in, in these final moments of his life. I mean, Jesus only has, again, a limited amount of time while he's able to be there and teach. And he's trying to communicate these important things to his followers and even to the religious leaders. So, in this parable, we have a king. Obviously, the king represents God, and he prepares this great wedding feast. And I just want to stop right there and say that the analogy of marriage is more commonly used than anything else in the Bible to describe our relationship with God. Um, Time and time again, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, marriage is used constantly to describe and it's used as an analogy to help us understand our relationship with the Lord. So, um, <clears throat> it is a very it it was very common, and even uh, the day of judgment. Like when you think about when you read in the Book of Revelation, you know, Judgment Day, and it's referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, when all of God's people, when we all go to heaven, and we're welcomed in by God. There is going to be a uniting, a marriage supper, where we will be brought to Christ and united with Him for all of eternity. It's a beautiful image if you think about it. And it's just something that was used constantly throughout Scripture to describe the relationship that we should have with the Lord. It's a marriage. It's a relationship of love and honor and beauty. And um, I know not everybody's marriages have been like that, but there's something inside of us that knows that that's what it should be. And with Christ and with God... It's going to be what it should be, uh, not what we necessarily experience on earth. Because it's not always perfect on earth, but in heaven, it will be perfect. Now, now that everything's been prepared for this feast, um, the king, or God, sends out his servants 
to notify those that are invited, but all the people that he invites refuses to come. And as you can imagine, for a king to invite someone, because let's play along with the parable, um, these people would be the powerful, the elite, the wealthy, the rulers. Um, These would have been the only ones invited to this wedding feast of a king. Uh, They would have had to be worthy in order to be able to come. Um, They had been born in it during their lives. They had been trained to interact with a king, trained to communicate with a king and come to events like this but for whatever reason um they were all too busy to come you know they give all these different reasons why some go back to the farm some go back to the field some go back and do this or do that there's all these different reasons why they don't come so he sends more servants out to announce that hey the bulls and cattle have been fattened and killed the food is ready All you have to do is come. Everything is ready. Come and enjoy what I have prepared for you. This is a gift to you. And we have to understand that, you know, a lot of times when people get married, especially in our day and time, um, you think that the wedding day is all about you. And it is to a certain extent. You know, if you're the one getting married, you are an important part of that celebration. But It's also an important part for the people who are invited because when you're throwing this wedding celebration, especially today, when you have a meal provided for everyone who attends, that is by far the most expensive part of the wedding, the meal that's provided. And it's a blessing that the family gets to give to everyone invited. So, So you're wanting to bless them. You're wanting to give them something great because you're happy and you're celebrating because your children are being married. Now, each one of these people ignore the messengers, even the second round of messengers, and even some of them seize these messengers and kill them. I mean, think about this. The king is honoring them with what he is prepared. He's prepared this feast for them. All they have to do is show up and enjoy it. They don't even have to do anything. You know, when you go to a wedding, all you do is you get dressed up and then you go eat a free meal and you hang out and you have a good time and you socialize. For these people, all they had to do was show up. Everything had been prepared, but for whatever reason, they were angry when the messengers came and they killed them. Um, And Jesus is once again telling the story of the nation of Israel. Now, we saw that in the previous two little parables that we saw earlier. You know, the religious leaders were the ones who were portrayed as the evil tenant farmers and the ones who were wicked in these stories. So the nation of Israel is really being condemned in this parable because God sent people like all the prophets, Jeremiah, um, Isaiah, you know, Moses, all these people to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel always mistreated the prophets. Now, they didn't always kill them, but they mistreated them pretty significantly. They didn't always listen to them. John the Baptist, I mean, like, from Moses to John the Baptist leading the way to the coming of the Messiah, the people of Israel very rarely listened to the messengers of God. And all of God's messengers had been ignored, they had been mistreated, and some even killed. Actually, a lot of them were killed. You know, when we read the Bible... You only get a handful of the writings of prophets that are mentioned in Scripture. But there were hundreds of other prophets that we don't even know their names. I mean, you can read about, um, it's uh, and I forget which one it is, but um, in one of the prophets it talks about, uh, one of the books of the prophets it talks about um, like 400 and something prophets being hidden in a cave because 
Jezebel and her people wanted to kill God's prophets, and they had already killed all the prophets. Eventually, they end up killing all the prophets except for one. I mean, it's just, it's amazing at how many messengers God sent that the people of Israel ignored and even killed. And this made the king, which is God, I mean, it's pointing to God, furious. So he sends out his army to destroy the murderers and everything that they have. And so you got to think, the people of Israel were conquered by other nations. You know, in the book of Judges, they were conquered by the Canaanites. They were constantly oppressed. <clears throat> then they were conquered by surrounding nations, and eventually they were taken into captivity and exiled from their land. So Jesus is basically telling the story of the people of Israel. Now, we have to dig a little bit for that information. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the people of Israel would have easily understood what this was talking about. And because many of the elite people who ignored the invitation, I mean, think about this. We're talking about, in this moment, the elite, the high we're talking about the religious leaders. The religious leaders were the ones who were given the scriptures. They were giving access to the temple. They were giving authority in the worship of God. They were the ones who should have been invited in before anybody else and received that honor, but they were not concerned with God. Now, now they felt like they deserved all this stuff, and they didn't need to go in the presence of the king to this wedding in order to um, honor the king. They felt like they had more important things to do. And when you're looking at the religious leaders during Jesus' day, they really felt like what they were doing was greater than God's will. I mean, it was God's will to bring Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in, but they rejected him and they chose their own ways over the ways of God. And because they ignored him, and and out of spot, they 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 grab the messengers and kill them. God goes out and he invites in common people from the streets. And you know, you look at the previous parables we talked about last week. This is why Jesus said, "Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before you." Because the religious leaders were not willing to listen to the messengers of God, like the prophets and John the Baptist and other people like that. God was turning away from them and turning to more sinful people. Even though they were more sinful, he was turning to them and inviting them into his kingdom because God has prepared a kingdom. He has prepared a wedding feast, and he wants people to come to it. He doesn't want that to go away. So he's inviting these people in. As long as they are willing to repent of their sins and turn to God, they are welcomed in. And that's what they were doing. And this is why Jesus said they would enter the kingdom of heaven before the religious leaders would, because they had repented of their sins and prepared themselves. So, the good and the bad alike from every street corner until the banquet hall was full, God said, go out and invite them all, because I want this feast to be a great feast for my son. My son is getting married. He needs to be honored. And that's the whole concept of this parable. <clears throat> now, this, this simple explanation... Is, is exactly why Jesus went out to the common everyday people, why he ministered to just the normal people of Israel, and he wasn't constantly trying to win over the religious leaders. It's why a significant portion of his ministry was even devoted to Samaritans and Canaanites from about Matthew chapter 15 on to the end. Um, you know, Jesus associated with tax collectors, with prostitutes, um, and it was all because God's people ignored him. 
and, and they ignored his messengers. So it's almost like God, I mean, if you think about this, it's almost like God lowered the standard just to spite the religious leaders. It's like, okay, if you're not going to do, like you think you're holy, you think you're high and mighty, you think you are all these things, but because you are just pretending to be this, because you think you're following all these rules that you know me, I'm going to go call people who aren't as righteous as you are according to your standards to show you that you are not what you think you are. And so God goes out and he calls the sinners and he heals them and he forgives them of sin and brings them into his kingdom. And it's important to understand as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross that the Old Testament, the law of Moses is basically, um, it's not going to matter as much anymore. now, And that's really complicated to explain because it does matter. Jesus came to fulfill the law. But when you look at Old Testament scripture, there's so many laws of the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy um, where, you know, we don't honor or obey those laws anymore because Christ came to, to give freedom from those laws. But at the same time, we still honor the Ten Commandments and we honor other laws of the Old Testament because we believe that those things are beneficial and they carry over into even New Testament law because Jesus told us to. So the it's important to understand that, that Jesus kind of um, not nullified some things, but all those things that the religious leaders were doing, there were a lot of laws that they made up for themselves. And Jesus was showing the people that those things didn't matter. And there's some things in the Old Testament that aren't as important anymore as what they used to be. But what matters is is our heart, our surrender, our repentance of sin, and turning to God and humbling ourselves before Him. So, um, and it doesn't mean that just anyone gets in. So it was like the Lord was willing to accept all these other people in, because the ones who should have got in refused to come. They refused to honor God. So even though God is lower, seems like what we would say is lowering the standard of who can get into heaven, which is very beneficial for us because it means no matter how much we've sinned, and I don't know about you guys, I was a huge sinner before I got saved. And in fact, even as a Christian, I still have struggled in some sins in my life. And so I'm very thankful that God lowered the standard. I'm very thankful that God has accepted sinners into his kingdom as long as we're willing to repent of those sins and acknowledge that they're wrong and try to live apart from sin. God welcomes us in. I'm thankful for that because I have benefited greatly from that. But we have to understand that just because God did that, that everyone doesn't just automatically get in. And so you have to take note of the last part of this passage that there was one person at that feast that the king noticed who was not wearing the proper clothes. And the king identifies him because here's the thing. God does have a standard. God does have an expectation of, what, of who we should be as his followers and his people. Um, not necessarily, you know, this is a parable, so it's an analogy. It's used as an example. So it's not necessarily what we wear that's that important, but it's the fact that we are all the same. There's a standard measurement of judgment that God uses to identify his people. Um, and so when he sees this man who's not wearing the proper wedding clothes, he identifies him. And there's some debates uh, about the customs of this time. So some scholars 
say that it would have been customary for the proper clothing to even be provided at the wedding that no one would have had an excuse not to look like they should. So whoever was providing the wedding would not only provide the food and all that other stuff, but they would provide the clothing that they wanted everyone to wear, especially someone like a king. Now there's evidence of that being done in the Greek culture. That was very common in the Greek culture, but we don't really have any evidence of that in the Hebrew culture. So in the New Testament, when Jesus is teaching this, we have to understand that the Roman Empire is occupying Israelite territory, and the Roman Empire very much operated off a lot of Greek cultural aspects. They were trying to revive um, the Greek world, you know, that Greek culture, and so there was a lot of things that the Romans did that was very similar to the Greeks. So even though we don't see this happening a lot among Hebrew people, this could have been one of those things that was very much understood that kings during this time would have or great rulers would have put on these wedding feasts and supplied the proper clothing for these people to attend because they wanted them all to look alike they wanted them all to be proper in front of them and that would have been done but one thing you have to take into consideration is the fact that all of us are supposed to have on our proper attire when we enter into the kingdom of god now again it's not talking about clothing it's an analogy, it's a metaphor. It's used to explain that we are all supposed to be prepared to stand before God. And so, in this parable, <clears throat> the concept of dressing appropriately is a sign of respect to the king. And, and so, understanding that in our lives, to prepare ourselves, our bodies a temple, the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be preparing ourselves for God to dwell in us and for us to be presentable before God. Revelation chapter 22 verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. But outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. And so even in Revelation 22 14, it talks about those who've washed their robes. Well, what do you mean wash your robes? And it talks about those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. There is an understanding that we have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we're not cleansed, then we're dirty. So, so if, if we're not clean, what is it that we still have on us? Well, we still have the sins of sorcery and sexual immorality and murder and idol worshiping and all who live lies. I mean, I mean... We have to understand that when we talk about washing our robes, that Jesus is washing away that sin. But the thing is, is that we have to repent of that sin. We have to humble ourselves before God in order to remove that from our lives completely. Because we can't just ask Jesus to wash it from us one day and then go out for the next 10 years and continue to live in those sins, not even acknowledging Christ again or His forgiveness for those sins or His power to deliver us from those sins. So the proper dress attire is not something that is actual clothing. It's just used as representation for the fact that you have to be cleansed. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is where God dwells within you, and you must be washed clean, repentant of your sins, and serving God in purity. And that's the way that we stand before God in eternity, worthy of being there. For this man to not have on his proper attire and to give no response 
was not only a clear indication of guilt in his life, but it was a clear indication of disrespect in his life. The fact that he didn't answer showed that he felt like the one asking the question had no authority over them. You guys know this. When someone in authority of us asks a question, we have to answer them. We have to give an answer. And so he shows up to this wedding. The king, or God, the host, provides the clothing for the wedding. He, he provides the meal. Um, he provides everything that we need. All we have to do is show up. But the, this man shows up. And he doesn't have on the proper clothes. He eats the king's food. He he dwells in the king's company. He has fellowship among other people. But he's not washed clean. He doesn't have on the proper clothes. And he refuses to even answer the God of the universe who asked him a question. It's a direct sign of disrespect and guilt in his life. And this is why this man was bound and cast into outer darkness. He did not truly belong to the king. He didn't belong to God. And God is going to identify every single person who truly belongs to him, and he's going to identify every single person that doesn't belong to him. And we must remember as we read this that God is not harsh. The wedding, the wedding feast was meant to honor the king's son. This is Jesus Christ. The feast is meant to honor Jesus Christ, and God is the one who's preparing this feast. The parable just so happens to be about the wedding of Christ and his church. The people that are invited may not have been worthy, but everything they needed to be presentable at this celebration was provided for them. The, the clothing, the cleanliness, the food, all they had to do was show up, enjoy the fruits of the king of what he had to offer and give him the respect that he deserved the fact that this man came into the celebration looking different from everyone else refusing to answer a question was an indication of scorn towards the king and his son he was willing to eat the food he was willing to enjoy the celebration he was willing to enjoy the company but he was unwilling to present himself in a respectable manner to the one who provided it all and that's outright disrespectful. That's like us. That's, that's every person on earth who wants eternal life. We want to live forever, but we're unwilling to surrender ourselves to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. He knows whether or not we have prepared ourselves. He knows whether or not we're wearing the proper attire. Because the man was disrespectful and because he was unwilling to conform unwilling to change, unwilling to repent. He was bound and cast out into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fact that he didn't answer was probably the most disrespectful sign that there was. Not even the fact that he wasn't wearing his clothes, but the fact that he didn't even answer. That showed that he had no respect for the authority of the king, for the authority of God. Perhaps the most complex part of this parable is the very last verse, in verse 14, where it says, For many are called, but few are chosen. And we have to be careful here and not fall prey to the idea that God only chooses some and not others. God calls everyone. That's so important for us to understand today is that God calls everyone. Because his special people Israel rejected the invitation, God went out and he invited everyone 
and provided everything that they would need in order to be accepted in. There's not a single person on earth who's not welcome into the kingdom of God because everything they need in order to be presentable before God has been provided for them. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, it has been provided. The problem is, is that people still reject God. A lot of people want eternal life. We want blessings. We want good things. We want heaven, but we don't want to repent. We don't want to give up sins. We don't want to give up physical, material things in this world. We don't want to completely surrender. So for those who want part of it and yet are not willing to completely surrender, God does not choose them. God only chooses those who are devoted to Him, who are surrendered to Him. But for those who are willing to completely surrender, if they put on their robes and make sure they are washed in the blood of the Lamb, they will be chosen to dwell with God in eternity forever. They will be the ones who get to celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb planned for them from the very beginning of the world. Everything's been set up. Everything's ready. All we have to do is take what the Lord has given us to prepare ourselves to stand before Him one day. So as we finish up, I just want to ask you this question. Do you have your robe? Has your robe been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you repented and turned from your sins? Have you submitted to Christ and to God? It's one thing to want to enjoy the wedding feast. It's one thing to want eternal life. It's a totally different thing to be worthy of being able to go to it. So are you worthy today? And it's important to remember, we are not worthy by what we do. We aren't worthy by what we accomplish. We aren't worthy because of anything in this life that we can attain. We are only worthy because of what we allow God to do in us and through us. So today, I hope and pray that you are surrendered, that you are repented, and if not, that you would do that right now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to read your word, to study it, and God, to just give ourselves to you once again. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this Bible study, Lord, I pray that they would seek your face. Lord, that they would take this time to surrender to you completely. God, that we would acknowledge the sin in our life, that we would repent and turn from it and realize that, Lord, you have a better plan for us. You want us to live apart from sin. And when we do that, there's so many blessings and rewards, not only in this earth, on this earth, but, God, in eternity as well. So, Lord, help us to devote ourselves to you, to give you the love and honor and respect that you deserve so that when we stand before you one day, we can answer you with confidence that, Lord, I have on my robe that you provided, the one that you washed and you provided for me. I'm ready to meet you. And that's the whole reason that we exist. So, Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another day. Um, we love you. We're praying for you. If you can't catch us in person on campus, watch us on Facebook, YouTube, or listen to the podcast, uh, we are praying for you, and we are so excited that you're a part of Graham Chapel. Have a great week.